0: to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Isaiah's ministry, as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck.
1: Shall we turn now in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, as Isaiah records for us his commissioning by God for his ministry. Now you remember in chapter 1 that Isaiah tells us that his time of prophecy extended through the kingdom, or through the kings of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. As we pointed out, it is thought that he was put to death by the evil son of Hezekiah, Manasseh. But his call to his ministry as a prophet is given to us in chapter 6, and it so happened that it came in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Uzziah was a very popular king, He had reigned over Israel for 52 years. He began his reign when he was just 16 years old. Under his reign, the nation, and actually I say Israel, but it was the southern kingdom of Judah over which he was reigning. And during this period, Judah had great military advancement and great prosperity. They developed a great water system, enlarged their agricultural area. They enlarged their territory by moving into the territory of the Philistines, something that they weren't able to do prior to this under the other kings. He tore down the walls of Gath and of Ashdod, the great Philistine strongholds. He planted settlements in the Philistine territory. He had a very strong and powerful standing army of 300 And 10,000 men Uh, They set their scientists at work Building new types of war weapons for those days Great slings to throw huge stones And to shoot arrows and so forth And uh, he overall strengthened the nation mightily So that the people felt very secure and very comfortable During the reign of Uzziah, he was a popular man. The name of Uzziah spread abroad throughout all the land, even to the going down to Egypt. Everybody heard of him. Not only that, everybody was talking about him. And the name Uzziah was on the lips of all the people. And very importantly, we read... And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. He was a prosperous king. He was a popular king. The kind of a man that you have great confidence in because of his accomplishments. And so the people had great confidence in Uzziah. They had come to trust in him and rely upon him. Perhaps too much so. As is often the case with a good popular leader, people begin to rely upon them too much and you get your eyes onto man and off of the Lord. And you begin to put your trust in man rather than in the Lord. And so many times it is necessary when that becomes the case that in order that we might get our eyes back on the Lord, God has to remove the man. And oftentimes God does take that man that you've been relying on and trusting him and removes him out of the scene in order that you might get your eyes upon God. Such was the case with Uzziah. And so it is very significant that Isaiah would say, in the year that king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Prior to that, his eyes were on Uzziah. Prior to that, his trust was in Uzziah. He was a good popular king. Things are going well. Things are prosperous. You you don't It seems, unfortunately, think about the Lord so much in prosperity. It's when all of a sudden calamity strikes. The throne is empty. What are we going to do? Uzziah's son is not the same as his dad. He's surely not capable as was his father. The northern kingdom is going down the tubes. Anarchy is reigning, actually. One king after another is being assassinated and there is confusion And they're in danger of being wiped out. What are we going to do? Uzziah is dead. The throne is empty. But Isaiah received a vision, a vision of the Lord in which he realized the throne is not empty. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and his train did fill the temple. So God having removed his idol, Isaiah got his eyes now upon the Lord, and he sees that the throne is not vacated, that God is upon the throne. Oh, how important it is for us to realize that God is on the throne, that God is ruling over the affairs of our lives, and God is ruling over the affairs of the world. We are prone to tremble when we see the world conditions As you just look at the things that are happening in the world today, it's enough to scare any sane man and give him a heart attack. But if you look beyond and realize, hey, God is ruling, God is in control, then I can rest, I can sleep at night only because I know that God is in control. I know that God is sitting upon the throne. So important that we realize that God is upon the throne in our lives, God rules, God reigns. That's the important thing. So because God does reign, whatever does come upon my path is there because God has allowed it to come upon my path. The Lord reigns. And it is so important that we have this as a mental concept constantly. God reigns. Now he describes the throne of God. He sees the seraphim that are above the throne of God. And he describes the seraphim. Now, we are told that there are also cherubim around the throne of God, and these are angelic beings, and evidently there is a great similarity between the cherubims and the seraphims. Now, in Ezekiel, he also, and we'll be getting to that soon, he also had a vision of the throne of God in chapters 1 and in chapters 10. And he described the cherubim, other angelic beings that are around the throne of God. In John chapter 4, he had a vision of the throne of God. And he saw the glassy sea in front of the throne. He saw the emerald around the throne of God. And then he also saw these living creatures... Whether the seraphim or the cherubim that John describes, we do not know. But basically, their ministry is that of just worshiping and leading the worship of God around his throne. As the uh, cherubim uh, or or the creatures in uh, Revelation cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which is, which was, which is to come. So here the seraphim, they are described as having six wings. With two of them, they cover their face. With two of them, they cover their feet. And they use two of them to fly. Interesting looking creatures to be sure. They are not, though, to be mistaken as as birds or some kind of an animal because they are highly intelligent creatures. And one cries to another and says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, declaring the glory of God and the holiness of God. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And so he describes the heavenly scene, even as John describes the heavenly scene in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and even as Ezekiel describes it in chapter 1 and 10. Now, I would recommend these chapters as important reading for any serious uh, child of God, because he is describing something that you're going to be seeing before very long, events that you're going to be watching. And if you don't read about them and know what's going on, then you're going to look like some hick (laughs) when you get to heaven Mouth open, and duh, woo, you know, and everybody will know you didn't do your homework. So these are interesting portions to study so that when you get there and the whole thing is coming down and the cherubim are saying, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, which is, which was, which is to come, then you can say, all right, now watch those twenty-four guys, watch them. They're going to take their crowns and throw them on that glassy sea. Watch this now, you know, and and uh, you'll be able to read, and play it cool because you know you know the sequence of the worship there about the throne of God. So uh, I highly recommend the reading of these portions where the throne of God is described. Always with each description, there is that awesomeness of God the creator of the universe, as he sits upon his throne, as he rules and reigns over the universe, and that worship and acknowledgement of him about the throne. Isaiah had the vision of the throne of God. Then said I, woe is me. (laughs) Because now he sees himself in a whole new light. Up till now, he had been looking at himself in the dim light of the world in which he lived. And in the dim light of the world around us, we don't look too bad. In fact, we look pretty good. But I'll tell you, be careful of looking at yourself in a mirror in the sunshine. Nothing is hidden. I mean, looking at yourself in that light is a whole different story. And so... Looking at ourselves in the light of God is a whole different story. I don't know, I don't know of a single man who has had a true vision of God who didn't more or less with Isaiah say, oh, woe is me. When Peter realized it was Lord, he said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. When Daniel describes his vision of God and all, he said, my beauty turned into ugliness. Seeing God, we see ourselves in the true light. And no man can be proud. You see a man who is proud, you see a man who has not yet seen God. Jesus in the Beatitudes, in his great manifesto in Matthew 5, 6 and 7, began the Beatitudes. In fact, he began the whole sermon by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now he begins a sevenfold description of the Christian in these Beatitudes, the characteristics that mark a Christian. But the first characteristic is poor in spirit. From whence comes this poverty of spirit? It comes when I see God. That's the beginning of my walk with God. My vision of God begins my walk with him. And in the vision of God, seeing God, I see myself. And as I see myself, I say, hey, woe is me. I'm nothing. Poverty of spirit. Blessed are they which mourn the next characteristic, for they shall be comforted. My poverty of spirit leads me to weeping over my condition. How could I do those things? How could I have done that? And I see myself now in God's light, and oh, what a revelation that is. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm crooked, and I dwell amongst, and I have unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. So you saw one of the seraphims then that flew And with his tongs, he took a glowing coal from off the altar. Now, the study of the tabernacle is extremely interesting because the tabernacle is a model of heaven and the throne of God. And so if you want to really know what heaven is going to look like, that is the throne of God area of heaven... You can study the tabernacle, and there you have a little model. And God said to Moses, make sure that you make it according to the specifications. Why? Because it's a model of heavenly things. So even in the earthly tabernacle, they had the altar with the coals. So there in heaven is an altar with coals. And the, one of the seraphims went to the altar and with tongs took these coals and he brought it to Isaiah and he touched his lips with that glowing coal. And he said, your iniquity is taken away or your crookedness is taken away. His cry, woe is me for I am crooked. Your crookedness is taken away and your sin is cleansed. I'm a man of unclean lips. Your sin is purged, he said, or cleansed. So the cleansing by the work of God, notice it wasn't Isaiah's work, it was God's work. Isaiah's was the recognition of his condition. God's work was that of the cleansing then once he recognized his condition. All God wants you to do is acknowledge your condition. He doesn't ask you even to reform. That comes. But he asks you to just acknowledge, to confess If thou shalt confess thy sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you've got to confess your sin. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm dwelling amongst the people of unclean lips. I have unclean lips. Your crookedness is taken away. Your uncleanness, your sin is cleansed. What a glorious thing the work of God And it comes immediately upon my acknowledgement and confession. David, in the 32nd psalm, begins the psalm, Oh, how happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And before I confess my sin, hey, I was just dried up inside. It was like the drought of summer. I was so dry and parched, my bones were aching. For the hand of God was heavy on me. Then I said, I will confess my sin unto the Lord, and thou forgavest my sin. Just before he got the words out of his mouth, the minute in his heart, he said, Oh, I'm so horrible. I'm just going to confess. I'm going to just turn it over to God. In that moment, the cleansing and the forgiveness came. And that's just how anxious God is to cleanse and forgive you. The moment in your heart, you say, God, I have sinned. I'm sorry. Woe is me. I'm crooked. My lips are unclean. Just that quick, the seraphim came and said, hey, your crookedness is taken away. Your sin is cleansed. Oh, the beautiful work of God's grace and the forgiveness and his love for us. All he asks is you just confess. And he is willing and wanting to wash and cleanse you from all your sins. But that isn't the end of it. God does want to work in your life. God will work in your life if you give him the opportunity. But God never stops there. God wants to work through your life. There is a needy world out there. It's in darkness. You are dwelling in the midst of people of unclean lips. And they need to know that God will wash and cleanse them also. And so the work of God in your life always ends up objectively. First of all, subjective, what God can do for you, but then what God can do through you to touch others. And that's what it's all about. So I saw God. When I saw God, I said, woe is me. When he heard them declare, holy, 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 declaring the holiness of God, then you see yourself. Woe is me, I'm crooked. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? Then said I, now he's speaking again. But now this is a different, this is a man who has now been cleansed. This is a man whose life has been touched by the fire of God. And he said, who shall we send? And then said I, here am I, Lord, send me. Once God has touched your life, then God wants to use your life to touch others. God has a work that he wants to do. And the problem is always, who will go for us? Whom will we send? Jesus said, Behold, the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. Who will go for us? Whom shall we send? And the man whose life has been touched by God becomes then an available instrument for God. Here am I, Lord. Send me in his commission. And so God said to him, Go and tell this people. Now, at this time, Judah was on the road down. They had forsaken the living God. Idol worship had been introduced. There were times of spiritual reform, but they were usually surfaced. They never got into the real heart of the nation itself. And yet God wasn't going to just let them be destroyed without still a witness. But they weren't going to really listen to the witness, but still God was going to be faithful and witness to them anyhow. And that is to me an interesting thing about God. Even though a person isn't going to respond, even though a person won't listen, yet God will still give them the chance. God will still speak to them. He doesn't cease talking. So he said, go tell this people.
0: Continue with more of our verse by verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 6 when visiting the WordFortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription.
1: watching over you, guiding you, protecting you through this week. May you be enriched in Christ Jesus in all things. And may your understanding of God's love be increased day by day as you begin to fathom the depths, experience the heights of God's love and grace and mercies towards you. Through Jesus our Lord.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
1: Guess what? I just got a new book by Pastor Chuck Smith. What? Pastor Chuck doesn't write books for
0: kids, just big people. Yeah, he does. Hey, I heard about that too. My mom told me about it. It's called The Story of Noah. And not only that, Pastor Chuck even read it to me. Pastor Chuck read you the book? Yep, and he can read it to you too. The Story of Noah is the first of four children's books Pastor Chuck has written for kids three years of age and up. It's never too early to start reading to your children timeless Bible stories filled with exciting facts and practical application for kids taught by Pastor Chuck. And as a gift, each book contains an audio CD of Pastor Chuck actually reading the story of Noah so your kids can read along. To order your copy, call the word for today at 800-272-WORK. Or to see a sneak preview of the story of Noah, also now available as an iBook digital download, you can visit us online at thewordfortoday.org. Again, the number to call 1-800-272-WORD.